Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, December 6th, we are studying Romans chapter 15, verses 4 to 13. St. Paul encourages the Christians in Rome with the hope that is theirs and the promises of God confirmed in Christ Jesus. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Tim Cook. Pastor Cook serves at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Millbank, South Dakota. Pastor Cook, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Well, blessed Advent, and thank you. So, Pastor Cook, this is an Advent text, one of the epistles appointed for the season of Advent. Just let's reflect on that a little bit before we dig into the text itself. How, how does a text like this fit into the season of Advent? Right. Advent means uh, coming. And so we have uh, Christ who uh, comes to us. Of course, he came to earth in, at Christmas, and then he continues to come to us through word and sacrament. But then we're waiting for his um, final advent, uh, his second coming, uh, to bring about the new heavens and the new earth. And so uh, the perfect advent would be the one that doesn't get to Christmas. And so That's I've shocking, often, Pastor it, you know, Cook. <laughs> 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 well, okay, yeah. So I've <laughs> often uh, I've often said the season of Advent we wait with anticipation for the coming of Christ, and should He tarry for the sake of the elect, uh, we'll settle we'll settle for celebrating Christmas. So it's it's like a consolation prize. Now that's very tongue in cheek and almost irreverent. Uh, but it does it does capture the nature of uh, of Christ's uh, coming, our ultimate hope, which is going to be a significant theme in this text, um, and so that is how um, that is how a text like this will appear during this season of the church year. And and just as a as a way of information, this is the epistle readed reading that is appointed for the second Sunday in Advent in the one-year series. So if you're in the one-year series, you hear this every year on the second Sunday in Advent. And it's also the appointed epistle reading for the second Sunday in Advent in series A, which is not the series we're in this year, but you will hear this one again, unless, as you said, the Lord returns first, which is one of those big focuses in the season of Advent. So Pastor Cook, we're, we're jumping into Romans 15 this morning. And this is not the first time that we've looked at a text from the book of Romans in this series. There are other, there's a couple other epistle texts in the season of Advent that come from Romans. We've already looked at one from Romans 13. We'll look at a few more in the future. Anytime, as you know, you jump into an epistle or any book of the Bible and you're sort of in the middle somewhere, it's helpful to, to get your feet with some context, and particularly a letter like Romans, because Paul's got a very structured argument that he's been laying out. So tell us a little bit, I mean, we can't spend the whole time doing this, obviously, but tell us a little bit about what Paul's been doing in the book of Romans and where we find him in that argument in chapter 15. Yeah, so uh, in, the, in Romans, especially in chapter 9, uh, he starts to really unpack 
which is again, it's it's hard to even say that because he's doing it all along. But in, in, it ramps up in chapter nine. He begins to unpack this uh, the relationship of Jesus Christ to the covenant people of Israel, um, and then how uh, Christ for all people, um, it, it essentially. Where did he fulfill the promise to Israel? Did he not fulfill the promise to Israel? What do we do with the people of Israel who don't believe or have faith in Jesus as the Messiah and, and things of that sort? So he, he's, he's fleshing all of that out. Uh, and as he's doing so, he's showing uh, by uh, many proofs of Scripture um, that uh, and just logic that Christ is not just for the Jews, but for all people, which makes sense. He's writing, you know, to the Romans. Um, and now certainly there's a, a Jewish community there that he's um, leaning into, but, um, or taking advantage of, but the the Gentiles are, are believing he is the apostle to the Gentiles. So he, he's talking about those things. Um, in chapter 15, if ever we get anything resembling a clean break from the context uh, or the larger argument of Romans, this is, this is it. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm not going to get into it, <laughs> but chapter 14 ends um, with uh, there's some historical manuscript textual transmission issues here where I'll, fair number of manuscripts will include the doxology or the blessing at the end of the book of Romans. They will sometimes plug it uh, at the end of chapter 14. Hmm. And, and so you almost get this feel like chapter 15 and 16 were um, almost like uh, the second draft. Hmm. Uh, like he wrote it, he wrote a coherent letter, and then and then he put a doxology on there, and he's rereading before he sends it off. He goes, actually, you know what? Maybe I'd like to add this other stuff to it. This is painting with so broad a brush, it's almost unhelpful. But it does allow us to just kind of dive in uh, to the context uh, in, a, in a little bit less um, – we're just not quite as tied to the previous argumentation uh, as we normally would be. And and that's fine. There's still immediate context that we have to deal with, which is we have strong strong Christians, weak Christians, and Paul is going to talk at length about the relationship be- between one another. So, well, well so that and that immediate context does really, I think, bleed over from chapter 14 into 15 because he will talk about the strong and the weak. So, what what is the what has he been saying about the relationship between the strong and the weak in the church? as he's leading up into the text we've got for today? Uh, well, he's saying that the it, it's very, I'll just cite it, 15 verse 1, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Hmm. So he says, there you go. Now he uses the, the we passage. Uh, we uh, Christians who understand and know and have this knowledge we're going we're gonna to bear with those who aren't kind of up to speed yet. Uh, and so we're very much in chapter 14. He's talking about, you know, rights to honor some days is better than others or eating certain types of foods, kind of these privileges uh, and freedoms in the gospel. 
And he says, all right, we who are strong, the strong Christians are the ones who recognize the freedoms and don't take advantage of them for themselves. They're the ones who recognize the freedoms and then gladly sacrifice them for the sake of the weak who do not. And so that's what he's getting at there. And I think you could make an argument that the Jews, just by the nature of their history, uh, have a significant amount of um, advantages because of their familiarity with the scriptures that had been written beforehand, as he's going to talk about at the beginning of our text. So if you're proselytizing that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah of the world, you know, if you're, if you're out and talking to some Roman guy, he it's very possible he doesn't know who Abraham is. He's never heard of Abraham, maybe. Uh, he might know by a relationship with the Jews if, if he had a relationship with them and their community, but, but these aren't people who are studying scriptures every day of their life as the Jews did. And so it's the difference between doing an adult membership class with somebody who, you know, got confirmed, you know, went to a Lutheran grade school, uh, got confirmed in the Lutheran church, stepped away from the church for 10 years and came back. That's a much different experience than starting with someone completely fresh who can't even, you know, pronounce the books of the Bible. So, so in, in, and then the way, just so I make sure I'm following you, then your suggestion is that one of the ways that the matters of strong and weak could be applied is, is in that way that in Paul's context, some of those who are the stronger ones are the those who are Jews who have the background in the scriptures and those who are weak would be the Gentiles who don't have that background? That is, the, yes, that is the argument and I'm, I'm making, and I'm making that argument from me, which is to say I did not draw that from a commentary I consulted. All right, well, we'll, we'll keep that and in it mind. It might be in a commentary, but I, I think that plays in because he's going to hammer this home uh, now. He's going to emphasize very strongly um, the, oh, by the way, the Gentiles are included in this too. Right. Right, yeah, that's going to be a big part of this text is the the relationship between Jew and Gentile and their their inclusion together in this faith in Christ, which I, I you know I do think that fits very well with what Paul has done in the rest of Romans, as you did mention, you know what he what he does in chapters nine through eleven, particularly, and even in the very beginning where he's very clear that both Jew and Gentile alike stand condemned. And then there is no distinction because they've all sinned. But here's Christ, who is the Savior for all. And so, I mean, there is a, I think there is a continuity with things previously in Romans. But the strong, right. this weak, go ahead, sorry. No, you're right. You're right. You're exact, exactly right. I may, have, I may have overplayed the textual transmission deal. That's all right. A little bit. But you're I, right. No, I know that's one of your interests. Right it is an interest of mine, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's go ahead then and, and jump into this text. Again, we're picking up in Romans 15. The text is verses 4 through 13. So St. Paul writes, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another, as Christ has welcomed you, for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name, and again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, 
Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. That's our text for today. That's Romans 15, verses 4 through 13. And again, that's the epistle reading appointed for the second Sunday in Advent, both in the one-year series and in series A of the three-year lectionary. Pastor Cook, before we dig into specifics of this text, just give us your, your overall impression of this text. What is what is St. Paul saying here in these verses? Christ is for everybody, and that's good news for everybody. Uh, and so we're going to um, endure uh, together, serving one another and building each other up uh, as we wait for that uh, final revelation uh, and the advent or the coming of, of the promised hope. So that, that would be my impression of the overall, the overall text. So with that in mind, let's dig into some specifics. In verse 4, the, our text begins, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Is, is Paul talking about the Old Testament here? Is that what he's referring to? Uh, I think so. Um, I think we can say that with confidence because at the end of the verse, he's going to talk about the encouragement of, of the scriptures. And in an English translation, it, you know, that we have scriptures capitalized and it's a completely different word. Um, but that's in Greek, it's, it's all just kind of the same thing. Uh, and so you're, your mind and your eyes are going to connect all that together. So yeah, the things that are written in the former days, uh, they're written for our instruction. And then, of course, he's going to do that. Uh, he's already cited, it, this is immediately following a citation um, from Psalm, I think, 69 in, in verse 3. Uh, so he's just cited about how Jesus Christ says, the reproaches against of those who reproach, reproached you have fallen on me. And then, and then he immediately says, for whatever was written in the former days. So you've got scripture cited both before and after this. He's absolutely referring to, uh, yeah, the scriptures of Israel. So he says that these scriptures then are written for our instruction. And then he, he does help us with that. What, is, what does that mean, that the scriptures are written for our instruction? What's the instruction that's given in the scriptures? And what does God do with that instruction? Yeah, I would... Uh, he's just laid out, again, immediate context, he's just laid out a case that the, the, the strong are going to bear with the failings of the weak. And so he, he, that's the instruction that's happening here, is he's, he's telling them, hey, this is how we're going to live uh, in one another, and then he's going to move on. He's like, and it's going to be a like-mindedness. Um, is how one translation puts it, um, I'm trying to think of um, peace that coming up. Hold on. I'm looking at three different Bibles floating around on my desk here. But um, for our church, oh, it's coming up. It's coming up that we may. It says that we may live in harmony in verse verse five. But that uh, this is uh, especially played out in Je uh, Galatians, where Paul will talk about his argument with Peter and how they were doing this and they were doing that. And I don't know that we really have any way to highlight what a massive distinction or barrier this was 
in the early church. I mean, Paul will call it in the, uh, his letter to the Ephesians a dividing wall of hostility. This this Jew Gentile distinction is just massive, and I don't know that people living today will ever really understand what a big deal that was. Mm. And um, and so this is the instruction, which is as you cited earlier in chapter 3 there is no distinction god shows no partiality he keeps highlighting these these points so he's going to bring it down when it comes to christ that that stuff isn't that's not in play anymore and that's just an entirely kind of a, a paradigm shift that the people aren't probably um ready for or it might be scandalous but it's always scandalous through the cross because Christ died for all. I, I do think you're right that we have a hard time understanding or appreciating just how big of a deal that was that Jews and Gentiles together were the church. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't even, I'm not, I'm not sure what, what to compare it to, to try to help, but it is a, I think you said paradigm shift. That's, that's precisely it. It's such a, it's a, such a huge change Maybe another huge change would be like the example of of moving your worship from Saturday to Sunday, but this is even bigger than that. I'm I'm just not sure what to compare it to to try to help people appreciate how big a deal that really is. Yeah, I I live in South Dakota, so our high holy day of uh, secular living is the third Saturday in October. Um, It is uh, opening pheasant season. Um, It's the single largest influx of people into the state every year and uh i've I've tried to describe it to my people because people will set up their farm ground you know they'll food plots and they'll they'll cater uh and cultivate their ground to help pheasants thrive solely for the purpose of meeting the needs of tourists coming in and then they you know, they'll turn little farm. This becomes a side side business of guiding hunters and things like that. Anyway, and I made the, I made the example of what would happen if the state of South Dakota just said, you know what, we're no longer going to make a distinction between resident and non-resident licenses. Hmm. I mean, there would be a there, the whole state would burn down. The rioting would just be, I mean, the <laughs> anger and the frustration because. I mean, it's it's a. I live ten miles from the Minnesota border, and I have a neighbor uh, who uh, it, he works in the state of Minnesota. And and I said, so why do you why do you live here in South Dakota? And and just, first words out of his mouth, he said, resident hunting. <laughs> I, right. So a mat like that's just a massive perk. It's it's an identity feature, and it it still doesn't. I don't think it comes close to capturing. Um, what a big deal this was for the Israelites, but it gets, we're getting maybe a little bit closer. If you just decided that there's not a distinction, there is no longer resident and non-resident. I mean, the fees are different. The privileges are different. The number of birds you can take are different. The seasons are, it's just, oh my goodness. <laughs> it's a big difference. So All right. that's the best analogy I can give for the hearers about how this this might play out. I suppose if you're in Michigan, you could say the same thing about, I know deer hunting 
is is a big deal there in the middle of November. So. All right. Okay. So I, I, it's uh, again, we got to give it a shot. Something to try to help us understand just how big of a deal this is. That this dividing line is no longer there. That dividing a wall of hostility has been broken down in Christ. He has he has made peace. He is the peace between the two, and this is the instruction that's there in the scriptures. And, and right. That well. And go ahead. I'm, I'll just interact. Uh, interject here. Um, what Paul is doing and what he's always doing, he does this in Galatians, he does it in Ephesians, he says, this is not, like, Scripture told us this was coming. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not making up something new here. Like, this is this has been the the move, The pr- frankly, this is the promise all along. I think that we're going to get to that uh, soon enough. But when he talks about the promises that he made, and you're going to expect you know, of all the promises of the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Paul just really flips that on his head. He says, no, look at these promises about the inclusion of the nations. Hmm. And that must have been uh, very humbling, is maybe the best way I can I can say that. Yeah. You took, took the wind out of their sails, especially if, if that was your primary identity was one who was of the people of Israel. So tell us more then about in verse 4. This was written for our instruction, and then Paul connects that to endurance and encouragement, and then to give us hope. There's all these—I I love this about the book of Romans. There's there's all these—and buzzwords maybe isn't quite the right thing, but there's still these, these Christian words that we use all the time. You know, we talk about endurance or encouragement or hope or peace or joy, and they're kind of all over the place in Romans. And it gives us a chance to dig into what those words really mean. So so help us as to how endurance and encouragement and hope are all connected to these scriptures that are written for our instruction. Sure. For endurance, I would run to the Gospels and how the disciples really didn't understand what Jesus was up to. Mm. Right? So when Peter confesses that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then Jesus turns right around and he says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die. Um, Peter then rebukes him. And he says, no, this shall not be. And then James and John, you know, they send mom and ask, hey, uh, can you let us sit on the right and the ha- left hand when you come into your glory? And he says, you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't you don't understand. And so they're going to this endurance word is uh, the people of God coming to grips with, oh, the one who loses his life for my sake finds it. Oh, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. This this isn't a, you know, um, you know <laughs> the Son of Man came to be, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. So you've got that endurance going on. Okay, this isn't Christ came in military might, power, et cetera and took on worldly glory. Uh, this, this is a, it's an endurance feature uh, with much suffering. So I, that's where I would run with the endurance language. The encouragement language is, that's just this loaded word. Um, so paraclete uh, is, uh, will occasionally show up in our hymns, and then I often have members walking out of church or in Bible study uh, what was that word we said in in the hymn? And so you have to tell them about well, Christ's promise of sending the Holy Spirit, but it's variously translated as, you know, advocate, comforter, encourager, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it, 
it's almost just best left untranslated. Um, and so we have that going on. Um, this is what God is always doing. He's encouraging, comforting, comforting advocating. Um, and this is happening through through the scriptures. And then the whole goal of all this is that we might we might have hope. And in our context, I think that's probably the word 21st century Western Christianity struggles with the most mm. because we have um, not understood hope as a confident expectation. Like, I absolutely know this is a thing that's going to occur, but we, we treat it more like wishful thinking. Mm. So when I would work, I spent many years of my life uh, working at gas stations, and every gas station I ever worked at sold Powerball tickets, and everybody who would buy them would say, I hope I win, you know. Mm. Then you get to Romans 5.5 5 in the NIV, uh, in my mind, unhelpfully says, and hope doesn't disappoint us. Mm. And I think that doesn't sound um, true to life experience in, in Western Christianity because that's all hope does. I mean, I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan. We've we've never. It's just it's rough. I'll just say that you know, like hope. That's all. Minnesota is the most pathetic sports. You know, ever since. Cleveland finally got a championship at South. Hmm. Minnesota is a place where nobody can win anything. So, oh, we're all about having hope dashed, but that's not how Scripture uses hope. Hmm. It's not what Jesus is up to. He says, no, the hope is, you know, be like hoping the sun rises in the east tomorrow. Like you can count on it. Yeah. You know what's going to happen. It's confidence, and so that's what we're moving to. And this hope is is all Christ, uh, Christ for us to rectify injustice. Uh, to set things right, to, to glorify the Father, to, you know, faith gives way to sight, things like that. Well, and, and the word hope there, and I appreciate the way that you've explained it, because it, it is sort of, I, I mean, I see that too, this sort of just wishful thinking, you know, almost like, well, things have to get better, better, don't they? But there's no real confidence that they will. This is this is an actual, something you can hold on to because it's real. It's It's not just a figment of your imagination. We we need a we need a different word than hope for that. Some sort of I don't know what the what what's the, I don't know what what word to change it to, but that's not the scriptures hope. And that I think is the advent word here is is the word hope. That's probably right, why this shows up in this season. I agree. Yep. It's yeah, that hope. You know, it, the the Greek uh there it it almost has like the alpados or something like this is how it's pronounced. It almost has that uh, faith uh, root in there. Um, I've never flushed this out to see if I, I'm just seeing mm-hmm. things or if that's actually what's going on. But it, uh, it certainly fits um, the usage, even if it's not etymologically connected, that you have that um, that trusting certainty mm-hmm. uh, almost built into the word. Um, so that's... Uh, the hope language, I, I struggle with that one too, because I, I have not found a good equivalent um, in in American American English usage. Right, so. right, yeah, something like expectation, or it maybe is a bit a bit stronger. But but hope, what I mean, it, when we have the right biblical understanding of it, what a powerful word it is. 
something that the church has to give out in Christ that, that you can't find anywhere else. And that, that is the beauty of this text and the beauty of the season of Advent. We're going to keep talking more about that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're looking at Romans 15 with Pastor Tim Cook. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, December 6th. We are studying Romans chapter 15, verses 4 to 13 with Pastor Tim Cook. He is pastor at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Millbank, South Dakota. Pastor Cook, prior to the break, we were looking at the first verse of our text, verse 4, and going into the next, this encouragement that comes through the scriptures, Paul very plainly says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live. And so before we go any farther than that, those two words show up again, endurance and encouragement, and they're tied to God as the source of both. That is correct. Yep. And so you could connect then very quickly that, um, right, because endurance and uh, encouragement of the scriptures. And so the God working through the word through the scriptures and how he communicates. So it, it's this, um, it's a consistency uh, of, of presentation, um, which is, which is helpful. Right. And so it's all, it's all right there. This is, it's from him and it goes, it comes to you through means of his word. Yeah. Yeah. The connection between four and five in that way, I think is a very helpful way to see how God works these things through his scriptures, through his word written for your instruction, and Paul now is going to say, okay, this is what, what are we asking this God of endurance and encouragement to do? And here, I mean, I'm, I'm just reading through the English text. I think it comes through in the English text. To live in harmony with one another, you get in accord with Christ Jesus. You've got one voice glorifying God the Father and then welcoming one another. There's this real sense of that this encouragement and endurance that come from God through the scriptures that is what is going to enable you or empower you to live in this harmony together as weak and strong Gentile and Jew. If I can, I think I had that correctly parallel. Is that what's going on here? Yep. Yeah, it is. Um, the harmony language would be um, maybe more vividly uh, of the same thinking. Mm. Uh, so you, you're going to share reckoning or thinking or thoughts, conclusions. Uh, so harmony is a is a great. Um, it's, it's it's really a, a pretty fantastic translation, even though it isn't just like a one to one. Oh, this is a Greek word for harmony, you know. But it, it's it's been it's really helpful on that front. And so yes, the God of of these things uh, is is you. He's God. He's God of all, and he can't be different for you as he was for them, 
in that regard. And so that becomes a source of great hope because the joy, the anticipation, the expectation of the coming of Christ that was present among the people of Israel before his first advent at Christmas um, is that same hope and expectation and anticipation and then the promises of salvation uh, are there uh, for for all people to be lived again uh, through faith. So that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. One of the things that I think is, is really important is at the end of verse 5 in the ESV, it says all of this is in accord with Christ Jesus, which, I mean, I think that fits very well with what you had brought up earlier about the division between Jew and Gentile and how it shows up in so many places. I think you mentioned Ephesians, the dividing wall of hostility. And, and what's the what, what breaks that down? It, it, it is Christ Jesus. And here, this unity is not just some sort of, you know, it's not some somewhere out there or it, come, it doesn't come from within us, but it, it comes when you are in accord with Christ Jesus. The unity starts with him, and then because we're united to him, we then are united with each other. Even if we're as different as Jew and Gentile, we're still united together because we've been united to Christ. Yeah. Yep. That's, um, I can't improve on the way you said that. God so be I'm praised. <laughs> God be praised. Anything else in those, those verses, verses all the way through verse seven, I guess the conclusion then of all of this, the very, if I can say practical application is to welcome each other as Christ has welcomed you. And that is to God's glory. Any comments yes. on those verses before we move on? Uh, I w- Maybe the maybe just to hammer that the Trinitarian aspect of this, right? Is God the Father working through His Son? We're going to get an explicit reference to um, the the Holy Spirit at the end of this text. Okay, so this is uh, again. I think if you're if you're sitting there, first century Rome. Uh, with people maybe of the synagogue who um, are identified as believers of the Messiah, uh, Jesus. Um, you know, it's it's always a it's always a cons- concern about God, right? The the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now we're going to be talking about the God of Jesus. This is the same God, um, but then Jesus is God Himself because He's the only begotten Son of God, uh, and so it. It's it's all it's all working here together. It's how God is uh, at work for the sake of uh, His people, which, as Creator, that means His people are are all people. Um, and so that's where we're um, it's very much where we're we're moving here with these. Uh, I don't know litany is that what you call it? A litany of Bible passages coming up. He's going to just empty the bandolier scripture verses and, and highlighting his point here from from uh, the Old Testament. So. so he's going to continue with that instruction that was written in the former days. That's what he's going to hammer home to make this point, why this is what God desires for his church, because it's what's written there in the Old Testament. It's what God has given through his word for the endurance, for the encouragement, to give us hope. That word's going to come back up at the end of the text. The, the ESV puts a little bit of a break after verse 7 and into verse 8, as if, although it's always helpful, I think, just to keep reading. But but he does, and so in verse 8, he starts talking about the example that Christ gave. And he says, Christ became a servant to the circumcised, 
This is going to show God's truthfulness. It's going to confirm promises. And I think you said this earlier. This is where we get to it, that the promises that he's going to bring up maybe aren't the ones that your your first century Jew would have expected Paul to bring up. Yeah, I I think um, trying to, well, I'm struggling to articulate it, but but that's that's it. Which is if you're going to talk about um, what promises has uh, God made, you're probably going to think to those um, those co- covenantal. You know, I'll give you this land. Your children will be like the stars of the heavens, etc. And, and that's certainly at play. Um, but here, he's not going to um, touch on those, but the promises of how this God uh, is sending a Messiah to bless all people. And so the promises, he's going to focus in on the promises of how God is not just for the Jews, uh, but for all nations. Those are the promises he's going to bring out. Um, and uh, that is going to be um, so it's not just the promise of, hey, he's sending the Messiah. It's a reminder that the promise of the Messiah has always been for the nations. Mm-hmm. And so, I suppose not yeah, to not, not to right. not to skip over verse eight too quickly, but the the point that that he he makes, if if I'm reading this right, is that Christ has fulfilled the promises that God made to the circumcised, to the descendants of Abraham. That's been confirmed. And because that's been confirmed, then we also know that these promises that are there about the Gentiles, those too are true. And and therefore, as Paul said in verse 7, this is why this unity exists between Jew and Gentile in Christ. Right. Yeah, it's, it's really quite quite beautiful. And I think it this does lean right back into where he was, what he was doing in 9 through 11 mm-hmm. about... Um, you know, have God's promise, essentially there, has his promises, have they failed? You know, has he proved himself to be untruthful because not all ethnic Jews are are believers? And so he's pointing out how Christ fits, um, right? We have this scandal of particularity, that Christ is going to come from this nation, and then that all is fulfilled in order that the whole world might be blessed. And um, and so yeah, you've I think you've said it well, and I would also add then, um, as again the preceding context that we don't see in verse three, how Christ uh, bore the reproach, right? The approaches of um, of those who reproach, you know, they fell on Christ, uh, which gets back into this weak, strong kind of concept, where Christ, who is strong, is bearing with the Jews who. Uh, exercise their weakness in <laughs> their their lack of faith and their constant, um, you know, failures, failures and sins. So he he doesn't jettison them. He doesn't start over. Uh, he serves them, and by serving them, it will. And he's going to use this word about overflowing, um, the the abounding in hope. Um, it, it's going to his service is going to abound into all the world. So So from from that, 
Paul does launch into this litany, this list of four different Old Testament references. And and, and maybe there's, a, a, just looking at least in what the Lutheran Study Bible suggests, that some of them could be, there, there's a citation there, but maybe there's a reference to another passage at the same time, it seems. So let's, let's take them one by one. The first, as it is written, Paul writes in, this is verse 9 of Romans 15, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Where does that come from, Pastor Cook? This is Psalm 18, which is uh, found in this entirety in, what, 1 Samuel 22, perhaps? Um, I think it's 2 Samuel, but... 2 thank yeah. you, yeah. So, but uh, very, very, um, it's hard to say famous, so many psalms are famous, but <laughs> it's, uh, you know... The, the Lord liveth, blessed be the rock, the God of our salvation. That language uh, is coming out of Psalm 18, written by King David. Um, and so that, that would be, uh, I would emphasize the authorship here because uh, I think you make the argument that these are, these are four citations from four different authors. Mm. So this isn't, um, I don't want to get lost in the weeds. Um, but occasionally, if you get a little bit too academic, uh, what will happen is people will say, well, that's just something, for example, that Mark emphasizes, or that's something that Matthew emphasizes, as though somehow that detracts from being an accurate or full representation of the will of God. I really dislike it when uh, scholars do this, but you see that a lot in kind of um, higher academia, where uh, there is a low view of Scripture, where they don't view it necessarily even as God's Word or inspired, etc. But even with that said, with that said, um, here uh, even that is avoided because yeah. he's got these. He's got David, and then the next one, and the next, they're all they're all different people, which I think he's appointing or applying to. Look at this is a consistency of message from the very beginning. Uh, we've been saying this all along. This isn't just something we're kind of going back to as though it was lost. It's always been there. Okay, so the, the first one from Psalm 18, and again, this is going to be David's words. Is there anything within the context that, I mean, Psalm 18 is a pretty long psalm. This is from the very end of that psalm. Is there anything within that, the context of Psalm 18 and what David is talking about there that really hammers home or, or fits even more with what Paul's laying out here in Romans 15? I didn't look for anything, and so I, I can't comment to that. There might be, but if there is, I didn't I didn't find it because I wasn't looking for it. So. Fair enough, fair enough. I know that that yeah. when the when the New Testament quotes from the Old Testament, it can't you it, when you start looking at the larger context, you often find things, and and so you know I think what Psalm 18. I'm just looking at it right now, and the superscription talks about this is David's song when the Lord rescued him from the hand of his enemies, and so that you know the rescue that was given. For David, who is is the king of Israel and a precursor of Christ, often a type of Christ, that rescue has implications for the nations. And maybe that's that's just me thinking off the top of my head. Yeah, that uh, that certainly well, kind of that that hope uh, theme there. Uh, David always had that. Uh, he's being rescued from Saul, so we if we want to just plumb that a little bit deeper, uh, he has been promised the kingdom, mm. right? And the uh, God has promised him the kingdom, and he spends the first 
I don't know how long, but it's quite some time just on the run uh, from King from King Saul. And so he should have uh, in a in his own personal experience, David, uh, he should have um, a hope of an advent that is the advent of his kingdom um, that has been promised to him from his father in heaven. And he's doing what? Well, he's enduring. He's needing to be encouraged, right? All the words that we saw uh, put into play in verses five, six, and seven. Um, so that's just his lived experience uh, at the at the authorship of Psalm 18. Take us into verse 10. You said we're going to see four different authors. Verse 9, that's David. Who's verse 10? Where's that coming from? Uh, Psalm 117. I believe that's without uh, superscription. Um, but it's not... Uh, I better just quadruple check, but I'm pretty sure it's not an of David. But what people will notice about one, uh, Psalm 117 is it's the shortest of them. And um, I think that is, uh, yeah, there's no superscription there. Right. So praise the Lord, all nations. I I think the a little bit of a speculation here on the on behalf of Pastor Cook uh, in Millbank, but kids know, children know when you study text, they know kind of what's short. Um, and so, uh, you know what I mean? Like the, the Psalms were everything to the people of God. Um, there is very prominent, very well known. Um, they're alluded to all the time. It's their daily prayers. Uh, I just have a hard time believing that they wouldn't immediately recognize this as the short ones, right? Like, right. oh, hey, so your kids gravitate. I remember a kid saying, oh, I want John eleven thirty five to be my confirmation. That's verse, right. right. Yeah. It's just two words. Like, we know this. And I think, I think Paul's tapping into, uh, listen, even the, like, this is the first psalm. I don't know. I don't know what the first Psalms are learning, but me as a parent, I'd start with the shortest one, right? Okay. I could see that. I could see yeah. that. Yeah. So, yeah. Like I, maybe this is where you dive into the book of Psalms and say, hey, let's learn this short. It's like the common table prayer. Right. It's just so short. Stole the nation. So I, I think, um, you know, if I were back at the seminary unemployed and had a life to devote to this, I'd, I'd explore this further about the, the length because it, it's just a prayer and it's, significantly shorter than Psalm 18. We can tell you that. Sure. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> it just goes on and on. And on. Okay, so so uh, another another verse from the Psalms and and perhaps one that would have been very memorable that when they hear it that would have been very something that they would have latched onto right away. They would have known what was Paul, Paul was talking about. Now, that that's in verse 11, Pastor Cook. I had asked previously about verse 10, which is that's oh, okay. It's all right. So yeah, so we we talked about verse 11. That's Psalm 117, the short psalm, perhaps given because it's very memorable. Now, verse 10, that's from Deuteronomy. You said correct. Deuteronomy. So this is uh, Moses. You know, win one for the Gipper speech. Um, not really, but second giving of the law, the big lengthy uh, presentation uh, sermon uh, before they enter into the promised land. And so even there, just the themes that are happening about you're the chosen people, this land has been promised to you, you're going to push out the nations. Now why? Well, all of this is serving so that the very nations you're pushing out of this land might be blessed through the one who comes 
from you through you in this place. Um, so, yeah, if you want to tap into the the broader um, historical context of that usage, you've got you've got Deuteronomy. I wonder how much people would um, be familiar with 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 the reference, but he he's very clear in that. Uh, this isn't just an illusion; it's a it's a citation. Right. So he's he's letting his readers know whether the Jew or Gentile. I am citing the former things that were written. Right, this is for your instruction, as he said in verse four. Uh, and so he's he's got Deuteronomy here, and now he's referencing, um, yeah, the, it's the Song of Moses. So kind of the, I think this is the first song referenced. No, second one, second one. Anyway, it's a, it's called it's the Song of Moses. Um, so that's, that's what we have going on. And then the last citation he gives in verse 12, he specifies who the author is here. He says, Isaiah says, so where in Isaiah does verse 12 come from? Yeah, this is Isaiah 11, another great, uh, Advent text, yep. uh, a root shall come from the stem of Jesse. We talked about this in, uh, will come, will come Emmanuel. Um, even he who arises to rule the nations, right? Now, if you were to go back into your, Old Testament in your English, every time you see Gentiles here, it will be translated as nations um, in, in the Old Testament. They don't, <clears throat> they don't use the word, um, it doesn't get translated as Gentiles back there, but that's his point. Um, this root um, of, of Jesse, this, the shoot. So, um, and, and then it even goes on that the nations are going to hope in him. And Isaiah's got that going on, he, right? He's got the, the mountain and all the nations were told are flowing to the mountain. So you have this reversal of physics where, where water is flowing up a mountain yeah. um, from all over the place. Uh, that's Isaiah chapter 5, I believe, if not it's chapter 2. Um, but it's, it's early Isaiah, and, and that would all be connected. Mm. So, And then our text for today closes with verse 13. We get a return to that word hope here twice in verse 13. What's Paul saying in the last verse of our text this morning? Uh, yeah, so hope is going to come from God. This is not a thing you're going to generate on your own, which is always a problem. It's always our inclination. Uh, this is why we always hold justification by grace through faith. Uh, it is the filter through which all Scripture passages run. Uh, so we have a God of hope. He's the one who's doing the filling. Hope comes from him. So if you're going to try to generate hope or find hope apart from God, it won't work. Okay. So the hope that he fills you with um, is, uh, well, the God. he's the God, the source of hope, and he's going to fill you with, uh, with joy and peace. And those words might sound... <clears throat> um, I don't want to say antithetical, but maybe a little incongruent with the idea of endurance hmm. um, mentioned earlier, kind of the, that, that suffering um, aspect or tribulation aspect. Um, but he's like, nope, it's joy and it's peace. And then that super important phrase, in believing, is how yeah. it says it in the ESV. Um, that is, that is the, that's the faith language right there. Everything by faith, the highest honor, the greatest work, the greatest, greatest good. Um, as it is, um, it's all by by faith, uh, and so we fear, love, and trust in Him above all things. Um, and then it it goes on. All of this, He's doing this to what to what end? 
uh, power of the Holy Spirit may abound or overflow uh, in hope. And so that which it just spills out uh, onto others, it's a uh, over superabundance, it's often translated, not here, but you see that language in Scripture. Our cup overflows, you get that mm-hmm. language in Psalm 23. Um, and so that which God gives to you, gives to you it, it pours out of you on, onto others in a way that is good. Pastor Cook, we have about three minutes left on the morning. Reflecting on this text from Romans 15, again, help us to see the, the Advent themes and how this text points us to our coming Savior, Jesus Christ. Sure. Uh, the, well, the first thing is um, probably most people listening to this are Gentiles. Hmm. Uh, so this should excite us just by nature of, um, if not for these promises that God had, um, this wouldn't be for you or me. So that's a that's a good thing. Uh, as as the Gentiles people, you know, living in probably North America, um, so that's uh, that. But additionally, then we have uh, we have this hope, uh, this confidence that this God who came very specifically through this nation is now the God. Uh, for all people and the blessings that he's offered to give, he's going to give. He's going to give to all. Now it doesn't emphasize here particularly um, kind of his, his second coming. Um, it's not that it's absent, but it's not its predominant theme. But the idea, but it's built in, right? Because hope is always future, future oriented. Um, you never hope for something that happened in the past. Um, and so this this God who he still has more to give, he has still more promises to fulfill, um, and it's it's for you, in um, in Christ Jesus. And so we're going to extol, and that was maybe a theme we didn't touch on too much here, um, but it is uh, you know the the glorifying language, glorify God. Um, we speak with the, the tongue. He mentioned. Uh, Kind of the lips, yeah, one, with one voice you glorify God the Father. We come together for the glory of God. The peoples extol him. That's that Psalm 117. I got it right this time. Uh, we have the singing of your name in, in verse um, from Psalm 18 um, and, the, and the Gentiles. And so our gathering together in the season of Advent um, is, is a glorification of God because of the promises that he's already fulfilled in Christ and that are still yet to come through Christ for all people. Pastor Tim Cook is pastor at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Millbank, South Dakota, helping us today with Romans 15, verses 4 to 13. Pastor Cook, thanks for being our guest today. Glad to be on. Thank you very much. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about this text from Romans 15 or other Advent epistles, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.